You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, here from New York City. And this is Prashant Parameswaran from Washington, D.C. Good to be back with you, Prashant. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, we're uh, at the end of the first round of Asian Summitry, or rather the only round, given that the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit's no longer happening this year after the cancellation by Chile. But um, interesting times in Bangkok. Um, we have a lot of uh, interesting reports about what's just transpired at the ASEAN-hosted summits uh, in, in Thailand. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to turn it over to you since you're our Southeast Asia hand and watch ASEAN close, closer than most people I know. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, what exactly happened uh, this week, especially at the, at the U.S. ASEAN summit meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think as we discussed in the previous episode, I mean, there were various, um, you know, headlines that came out of the ASEAN meetings. One was on uh, the regional comprehensive economic partnership and, and trade negotiations. Uh, another one was on, you know, progress on what these countries think about the, you know, the Indo-Pacific and various visions that have been proposed by countries on this. But I think the the, the big uh, source of headlines that we're seeing coming out of uh, the the meetings uh, in Bangkok is um, the the U.S. Uh, policy and approach towards Southeast Asia and, and ASEAN more specifically. Um, so the fact that you had, um, as you wrote for us uh, last week on the site, um, you know, a downgrading of representation from the United States. So since the United States has officially joined uh, ASEAN summitry. Um, you've had the understanding between ASEAN and the United States would be that you'd have the U.S. president uh, come to ASEAN meetings and ASEAN summitry uh, every year. So that would be a commitment from the United States in terms of the president's calendar. That's something which under President Obama, we saw the U.S. Uh, fulfill, except in one instance. Um, but under the Trump administration, that attendance record has been a source of concern. We saw um Vice President Pence have to have to attend um, instead of President Trump last year. And then this year we had um, an acceleration of this trend where you had a uh, a series of, um, you know, sort of initial uncertainty about who would be attending. And then you saw uh, Trump's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, um, and other U.S. officials attend. And that was a source of concern because that would be effectively the, the first time in which you've had a non-cabinet uh, U.S. official attend ASEAN meetings. So it would constitute a further downgrading of U.S. presence in ASEAN symmetry. And so in response, you had ASEAN countries, uh, partly in recognition of diplomatic protocol, send instead of their leaders, um, foreign ministers uh, in most cases with respect to Southeast Asia. And you had the United States react uh, in kind by saying they were very disappointed in terms of the level of ASEAN engagement you know, I, I do want to stress, I mean, this is really quite unprecedented. So even though it's been stated in the media accounts that this is something that adheres to diplomatic protocol, traditionally, when U.S. leaders go to Southeast Asia or attend regional meetings, Southeast Asian nations usually send their highest level representatives, if not their leaders, um, because it is the United States and the United States is a significant power in the Indo-Pacific. And this happened when uh, Mike Pence went uh, last year. So this is really a, a clear signal by Southeast Asian states and by ASEAN that uh, they do not uh, appreciate the U.S. downgrading of representation to ASEAN symmetry. Um, but I think it's also sent a bigger message on the part of the United States with respect to its engagement of Southeast Asia that in spite of what the United States has been saying on the Indo-Pacific, um, there really remain a lot of concerns in Southeast Asia about 
U.S. engagement and the shape of U.S. engagement in Southeast Asia. So if you can't get a U.S. president to attend these meetings and if you have such a big fallout by U.S. officials when ASEAN meetings, ASEAN countries respond in kind, you know, what does this say about the level of U.S. engagement in the Indo-Pacific and in Southeast Asia more generally? So that's kind of how I would sum it up. I think that's a great summary. Uh, and, you know, I mean, to be less euphemistic about it, like I, I just think that this was an absolute um, you know, disaster for American engagement in Southeast Asia. I mean, uh, the Obama administration recognized in its pivot to Asia that Southeast Asia was really the heart of that pivot, right? And the Indo-Pacific strategy has sort of, I think, struggled with that a little bit. And ASEAN's had concerns about that. And the U.S. has tried to reassure ASEAN that it continues to see ASEAN centrality as a significant component uh, of the Indo-Pacific. And certainly, you know, in, in 2018, uh, Jim Mattis, when he was Secretary of Defense, uh, made a big point of emphasizing that in Singapore at the Shangri-La Dialogue, for example. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if the, if the U.S. isn't willing to show up, um, I, don't, I don't care how many times in strategic documents uh, the Trump administration says that, you know, the Indo-Pacific is its priority theater or that Donald Trump cares about Asia more than he does about anything else. The message this sends, I think, is simply... Completely contrary to that, right? I mean, on one level, though, I mean, this is very Trumpian. I mean, Trump has that sort of 19th century power politics attitude about the role of smaller countries in international affairs. So frankly, at the end, at the end of the day, if you're Robert O'Brien or Mike Pompeo and you're trying to sell Donald Trump, a guy who doesn't like long plane rides, to go to Bangkok to attend a summit with 10 Southeast Asian countries, he's probably going to brush it off and say, you know, these countries don't really matter. Uh, and that's the message that ASEAN has received loud and, you know, loud and clear, it seems. And that's a huge problem, especially when, you know, we get into the broader debates in the region about uh, ASEAN countries feeling like the United States is asking them to choose between the United States or China. Again, something that the U.S. says that it's absolutely not doing. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just, I think, complete malpractice on a strategic level here. Um, and, you know, I mean, we have some uh, reports to uh, Kyoto News, uh, at least, um, is citing a an anonymous U.S. source, uh, you know, basically pointing to the idea that the U.S. views the snub of Robert O'Brien by ASEAN leaders as an, you know, as an attempt to embarrass the president of the United States and that, you know, the the official suggests that this will have negative repercussions on the U.S. relationship with ASEAN. So that there, again, I think is a complete misread of the situation. Um, I mean, you know, ASEAN, you know, instead of showing a degree of understanding for why ASEAN reacted as it did, uh, the U.S. is simply doubling down. So, you know, things here, I think, aren't looking too good. I mean, the Trump administration is trying to do a bit of damage control by now inviting the leaders of ASEAN to uh, do, um, you know, come to the United States for a second uh, special leader summit to follow on the 2016 uh, Sunnyland summit with President Obama. But uh yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, if you if you don't bother showing up in Southeast Asia, then it's going to be a, a tough sell to get ten Southeast Asian leaders to come and show up for a special leader summit. Do you think that's really going to go anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's the that's the big question, right? So under uh, President Obama, when the idea of a U.S. ASEAN special summit was held, it was essentially to commemorate the fact that under the Obama administration, Southeast Asia had really got a very prominent place, and that. It was under the Obama administration that the United States actually joined all these uh, Southeast Asian meetings. President Obama was personally committed to multilateralism. So many leaders from Southeast Asia were able to make the trip here. Um, and that was really a, a sort of unprecedented uh, level of engagement by the United States. But as you mentioned, I mean, if Southeast Asian countries are not seeing uh, a lot of that commensurate engagement from the United States, you know, that might lessen uh, their willingness to attend this kind of special meeting. But I think that the, the bigger point is, um, 
you know, these implications and, and, and kind of actions by the Trump administration in terms of, you know, not attending particular summits, they do, uh, you know, it's important to stress to listeners. I mean, in addition to the optics of this, the fact that it doesn't look good, it may signal something, it also undermines the real work of diplomacy that the United States is advancing in Southeast Asia, right? So, um, you know, I wrote, for example, about the State Department uh, update that they had issued on the Indo-Pacific and all these various inroads that the United States had made with Southeast Asian countries. Uh, you know, but as I noted in the piece, you know, the the release of these documents officially um, are undermined by the level of diplomatic representation that the United States is sending to these meetings. So the optics are inherently tied to substance, and that is is going to apply with any special uh, ASEAN-US summit that the United States is planning as well. So irrespective of how well it goes, um, you know, any media report that comes out you know, the headlines, the conversations among experts will, will cannot help but emphasize the fact that all this is occurring, uh, you know, in the face of lower level uh, representation by the United States in ASEAN symmetry. And, you know, the extent of Trump, the Trump administration and President Trump's own personal engagement with multilateralism uh, is in question. And so this is something which not only matters in terms of optics, but it's important to stress, it also affects the substance of U.S. policy as well. So, you know, let me ask you, uh, you know, you're in D.C., you talk to people, and I'm wondering, you know, why you think this was allowed to happen uh, within the U.S. bureaucracy. I mean, you know, we can talk about the fact that the executive branch is certainly behaving in a non-unitary way, and there's no real interagency process anymore, at least uh, in, in the traditional sense. But I mean, you know, the president should have people around him that emphasize the importance of going to things like this, especially when it comes to the strategic engagement. So, you know, what, what in your view is... Uh, you know, allowing for things like this to happen? Uh, is it the sort of tensions in the White House over impeachment? Is it the broad sort of shift uh, within the administration from, you know, people who are largely uh, willing to submit to the president's personality cult instead of sort of, you know, m maneuver in more traditional ways? You know, people like uh, Jim Mattis, for example, no longer being the administration, or, or even John Bolton, who uh, was certainly more of a bureaucratic operator and a traditionalist. Uh, where are we seeing these you know, lapses in American conduct really emerge? I, I think a lot of it is just domestic. I think, um, you know, even in the lead up to these meetings, um, you know, we, we did hear from, you know, U.S. officials um, to varying degrees that they were trying to get a higher level of representation because I think there was an understanding, at least in the official bureaucracy, that this would be damaging if they didn't get a high level enough uh, representation to the ASEAN meetings particularly because they did want to also announce this progress report on the Indo-Pacific, right? So you and I were at the Shangri-La Dialogue when uh, we saw the release of the Indo-Pacific Strategy Report, um, and it did matter, right, that that was actually, you know, sort of uh, introduced by a high-level uh, U.S. representative at that time, the, the acting defense secretary. And even then, there were a lot of questions about what that meant for U.S. engagement. So I think there was a recognition of that, but it's just the fact that um, unlike last year, you're, uh, you know, on the eve of a U.S. election year uh, in terms of U.S. politics, and you have an administration that's dealing with not only the regular dynamics of elections, but also um, these impeachment uh, hearings and proceedings that are going on. And so there was an understanding that there, you know, there would have to be a little bit of give and take uh, in this respect. Um, I don't think, to be honest, um, that there was an adequate uh, appreciation of what the... <laughs> 
what the actual uh, fallout might be. Um, and I still don't think, um, you know, I, I think there is uh, a sort of hope by the United States and the U.S. administration that this U.S. Uh, ASEAN special summit and these other notions of, you know, making inroads in the Indo-Pacific more generally might be appreciated in Southeast Asia. And they would be willing to say, OK, this administration has some other unorthodox tendencies, but we are seeing some of these uh, inroads. But my own impression, you know, when I travel to Southeast Asia, I, I can't think of a single meeting that I've had in a single capital in Southeast Asia where there hasn't been uh, some concern about the level of U.S. engagement, because whether it's fair or unfair, the obvious, um, you know, comparison that's made with, with respect to the United States is the level of engagement that we're seeing from China. And so even if sub substantively and in terms of policy, the Chinese have issues, you know, on all you know, fronts with respect to the South China Sea or some of their carelessness with respect to diplomacy with Southeast Asian states, you know, China actually makes an effort uh, to show up. It's a, it's easier for them to do geographically, to be sure. And they have a president and a premier as well. But nonetheless, I mean, this is something that's um, seen as being a very, um, you know, easy thing for the United States to do in terms of Southeast Asian states, whether the United States recognizes it or not. And it's a you know, a case of the United States actually shooting itself in the foot because the actual substance of U.S. policy uh, is actually being advanced. And a lot of these Southeast Asian countries want to partner with the United States. It's, it's just frustrating that the level of engagement is not matched by the substance of policy that's actually being advanced. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to, uh, you know, the U.S. rhetoric towards many of these countries on China, I mean, O'Brien also made headlines at the U.S. ASEAN Summit for, you know, providing a fairly... Um, strong statement on sort of Chinese intimidation in the South China Sea, for example. But the the idea of getting, you know, somebody like Malaysia's Mahathir, who's recently been making a lot of comments about uh, China, you know, Malaysia simply not being able to do anything about China because it's a small country. Uh, you know, that statement carries a lot less weight when it's mm -hmm. coming from a, a fairly low level American representative. I mean, you know, it, when Trump did go, you know, I think we've um, uh, also forgotten. I've seen a few accounts of, you know, uh, the East Asia Summit talking about how Trump went in 2017, but he also skipped out before the plenary session. Mm -hmm. He didn't actually end up, develop, uh, you know, delivering his um, address, which also it would have included, um, you know, uh, would have at least addressed issues like the South China Sea and uh, other regional hotspots. Uh, so Pence, comparatively, I think, you know, so far in the Trump administration, the 2018 um, ASEAN summitry seems to have been the most productive. Uh, Pence was actually received fairly well. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, we'll have to see uh, what the fallout of, uh, of this is. I mean, if I had to guess uh, this uh, ASEAN Special Leader Summit, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's really going to come together in the way the administration thinks it will. But what's more concerning is that, you know, if we begin to, if we continue to see more reports uh, of uh, anonymous ASEAN diplomats and anonymous American diplomats swiping at each other over what just happened in Bangkok, that, I think, uh, you know, could lead to a, a place where the U.S.-ASEAN uh, relationship, at least at the institutional level, um, between the 10-country uh, grouping and Washington, uh, that relationship could, I think, uh, maybe end up in a different place. And, of course, next year's uh, summits are going to take place right um, right as the United States is going to the polls. So I think that um, basically might close the chapter on the Trump era if uh, if the president does not win re-election. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this this is something which, you know, regional countries are paying close attention to. Right. So, you know, next year, Vietnam is going to be uh, the, the chair of ASEAN. And so whether or not a, a special meeting between the United States and ASEAN takes place and, and the shape of U.S. engagement 
and how the United States uh, actually advances diplomacy on issues like the South China Sea is very much going to be, um, you know, of note to the Vietnamese, right? So depending on what shape of engagement that takes and how they position themselves and how the United States is uh, actually advancing its, its diplomacy relative to China and other countries, um, you know, these Southeast Asian states will have to uh, adjust and figure out how they're actually going to manage uh, their relationships. So this is something that I think we'll be looking to next year to see, um, you know, the shape of U.S. engagement, but also, you know, we are talking about, uh, as you mentioned in this piece, this uh, the United States is trying to advance this notion of uh, competition between the United States and China. And one of the dimensions of that competition is diplomatic engagement. So whether the Trump administration and certain officials like it or not, the level of diplomatic engagement will be one of the ways in which the United States will be evaluated, uh, irrespective of the gains it achieves in the other dimensions, whether it's defense or, or, or the economy. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, to put it in another term, it matters for the president of the United States to show up and listen to ASEAN rather than the president of the United States to send the mouthpiece to talk to ASEAN or talk at mm -hmm. ASEAN. So that I think uh, is is something that the region will be looking for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this was a a, um, a pretty big blunder. Uh, and uh, I think I think we'll probably be coming back to talk about uh, the 2019 uh, U.S. ASEAN summit in the future uh, if if U.S. ASEAN relations uh, do remain in a little bit of a uh, difficult position as a result of this. Um, so uh, anyways, Prashant, I think we'll uh, close it there for now. Uh, thanks all for joining me. Yeah, good to be with you. Great. Uh, so for listeners, if you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can do that on iTunes, or iTunes doesn't exist, but Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, any other number of providers uh, that are out there. And uh, if you have been a subscriber but you haven't yet left us a review, please do so. It really, it really, really does help the show. And uh, before we close out, just a note from our sponsor. This episode of the Asia Geopolitics Podcast is brought to you by Diplomat Risk Intelligence, or DRI. DRI is the Consulting and Analysis Division of The Diplomat, the Asia-Pacific's leading current affairs magazine. Since its launch in 2002, The Diplomat has been dedicated to quality analysis and commentary on events and trends in Asia and around the world, and is now one of the most respected publications covering the region. DRI inherits this approach and offers clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors worldwide access to an exclusive network of subject matter experts and analysts. Whatever your needs in the wider Asia-Pacific region, DRI can offer the knowledge and expertise necessary to anticipate and manage geopolitical and geoeconomic risk. For more information, please visit dri.thediplomat.com. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon with more.